Hi there, I'm David and welcome to the 4Play Music Podcast. If you joined us last season for the Daz and Dave Conversations in Music podcast, uh, we're back now with season two, but we've changed the format slightly. Uh, we're going to be four friends who are coming together on these shows and we're going to chat about different musical themes each week. And we'll each give four answers to the question for that particular show. All become clear quite soon. Before we start, I'd like to welcome my co-hosts, um, Darren in Devon. Hi there. All right, Dave. How are you? Uh, yeah, good. Thank you very much, Darren. And you? Mm. Sipping tea. It's good really good. Sipping tea. Yeah. Excellent. Um, <laughs> and then we've got our man, Alan, from Tenby, who, who now resides in Luton. Hi, good morning, everyone. Or it's afternoon now, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm in glorious uh, Luton, and it's looking very sunny out there, but cold. And by no means last, we have Mark from Newry, who's an Edinburgh man. Hi, Mark. Good, uh, good afternoon, gents. Uh, I like the way you introduced this as four friends. I, I use the term loosely, especially <laughs> given I'm a Jones fella. Good to be back. It's absolutely pushing down here. Uh, it's not It's not the best of weather. It's more, I think we've taken a step back to winter, but better days ahead. Very good. Yeah, absolutely. At it's least I'm not looting. <laughs> You're already, Mark. It's changing already. <laughs> Okay, we're going to start now. Before we really get into it, though, let's be honest with our listeners. We don't pretend to be experts, but we are fans, and all our views are coming from our heart. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Cool. So let's kick off the show then, and dog barking in the background, standard Zoom meme. We're going to name four bands or artists who have had an influence on us. Um, so we're going to start with Alan. Alan, who's going to be your first artist? Um, it's going to be uh, Elton John. Um, I first came to Elton, you know, and you know, in the hearing, you know, maybe tracks like Crocodile Rock on the radio. Um, I can't believe when I can't really remember when that came out. Maybe uh, early seventies. Uh, but um, then I, I started to take an interest in my sister's record collection, and um, one of the albums that she had there was uh, you know, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. And, uh, you know, I started playing with it, playing it, and I you know, probably playing the sides, you know, not in any particular order. Uh, but eventually I came on this, this track, which I now know very well to be the, you know, the, the starting uh, track on side one, which was Funeral for a Friend. Uh, and the music just, I've, I've never heard anything like this before. And um, then after that, um, you know, I just was blown away by, you know, his, you know, his, his, I've discovered his back catalogue. I mean, he'd had a number of albums, you know, prior to that. And so I gradually, Elton's always been there. He's always been there ever since I can remember really getting into music. And um, he's such a talented guy. And, you know, with his co-writer, Bernie Taupin, they've got to be now a couple of the most famous songwriting uh, duos in, in you know in in music you know aside from Lennon and McCartney um, but I just love everything that, that Elton does I just love the way that he carries out his life um, and you know I've been lucky enough to see him a few times and, and he is superb in concert he really really is a talented musician and of course the band that you know that, you know, he's had with him, uh, D.D. Johnson on the bass, 
um, fantastic musicians. Um, and uh, just for me, he, he, everything he brings out, I don't think he's written any really bad bad stuff. Okay, maybe a few maybe in the middle of the 80s. Um, but I still haven't got all his albums, and so it's, um, it's something for me to carry on collecting. Um, and uh, he's just, just been with me, and uh, I just I love him. And I love go when I go to football, I love going to Watford because they've got a stand named after him. And uh, there's uh, yeah. so you know, he's uh, he was director of, of Watford uh, years ago, I think he's still connected in some way, and he's obviously a uh, um, you know, Watford supporter, but and also the fact that he came from um, you know quite a shallow upbringing, um, you know, and, and he's gone on to to be just a fantastic mu music performer, uh, and I, I love Elton. I won't have a bad word said against him. So thank you, Elton, for <laughs> um, for helping me along the way. Yeah. Did you enjoy his uh, autobiography? I don't read books, David. Unfortunately, I'm not one for books. Um, I haven't seen the film Rocket Man. I'm I'm more for the what the music. Okay. Uh, you know, and, and when I look back now, maybe um, you know, when I was listening to this stuff, I didn't quite, I wouldn't have appreciated really what some of the uh, the meanings behind the songs were, mm -hmm. um, and you know, particularly you know like. Um, Songs like Philadelphia Freedom. Yeah. I had a clue what that was about. <laughs> to me, it was just a cheerful song. Um, I loved the word Philadelphia because it was remind me of Philadelphia cheese. My mum always had that in the fridge. <laughs> and it was, I guess, just a great musical song. I had no idea what, what that song was about. Um, and so he, he, he keeps me on my toes. And um, yeah, I love Elton. I probably have about only maybe up to now, maybe 30 of his albums. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how many he's made, but I'm sure there's just loads to collect. Just the 30. Yeah, he's just amazing. I think that'd be a theme for a future future show is who are we collecting? So I think we know one on your yeah. list already. That yeah. yeah. Brilliant stuff. Yeah, I was lucky enough to, um, uh, uh, there was always a fair that came to Tembe, where I'm from in West Wales every summer. And somehow I managed to pick up a yellow vinyl copy of Yellow Brick Road. And in the 80s, when CDs came along, I sold it um, and, uh, to, to, buy the, to buy the CD version. But then um, about four or five years ago, maybe more, I was lucky enough, I was at um, a market in, nearby to me in Hitching, and the guy was doing a deal. <laughs> it was the 12-inch... It was the album in yellow vinyl, oh. and also the twelve-inch single of um, a "Funeral for a Friend," and he wanted two pound for them both. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, great! So yeah, Those thank you. Those were the days you can't get that anymore. <laughs> uh, I have to say, I, I, I completely completely agree with you on Elton John. Uh, I've been lucky enough to see him. Saw him in Glasgow when he was still at his peak. You know, his, his voice was still uh, quite healthy. And, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a great live performer. Oh, to have seen the likes of him in the 70s, you know, when he was playing, yeah. you know, dark, like 
playing the LA Dodgers or you know the big the big stadium in in the US with his great outfits. Yeah, would have been just amazing to have seen him. Yeah, and I th- and I think uh, some 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 of my favorite vinyls are Elton John, uh, Captain Fantastic, and the Brown Dirt oh, Cowboy. Fantastic is 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 a favorite start to finish. Uh, Goodbye Yellow Brick Roads, another one. And it, I, I like the Tumbleweed collection as well. I think he's got so many you could you could rhyme off, and even um. Oh, was it made in England? This train don't stop here anymore. Mm. It's such a great tune, yeah. and I was going through a time in my life um, where good, this train don't stop here anymore yeah. was really quite pertinent. Mm. Um, he, he has a song for everything. Um, he's lived. He's lived life, and he's come out. Um, he's come out the other end, um, smelling the roses, and, yeah. and and rightly so. Rightly so. Yeah, it took me. It took me a little while to accept Elton, only because the simple reason was when I was a teenager, probably sixteen, seventeen. It was when Sacrifice was the big hit, and right. I guess that was my first introduction to him. I was not a fan of that song at all, um, and I think I got the chance then to see him actually a few years later at Nebworth in '92, and I started to think, oh, okay. Then I misjudge him slightly. But it's still taken me till probably the early 2000s to appreciate Yellow Brick Road. And I think Mark recently introduced me to Brown Deck Cowboy and I bought it. And, you know, and it's taken me a while. So it's been a real slow burner for me. Um, obviously, things like Pinball Wizard, uh, yeah. brilliant songs. Love that sort of thing. But, but often yeah. a lot of his great, I mean, he's, he's had some singles, um, some good singles. But often um, the gems with Elton are the, like the album tracks. Right. Yeah. Oh, oh, fantastic! Yeah. Uh, um, there's for me it's, at the moment it's a toss up between Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and Blue Moves. I um, mean, Elton did two double albums in the seventies. Um, you know, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road and Blue Moves, and um, fantastic. You, have you got a top? Have you got top top three singles of Elton John? I couldn't. Uh, <laughs> no. That's for the next podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I, I've been thinking about this as well. You know, people say, "Oh, what, what your your four favorite, you know, or most influential bands." Yeah. And then I was sitting there thinking, "Oh, what what about what about their best songs?" It's so hard, so hard to put into it. And look, because sure, it changes constantly. Yeah, I was going to say, if we were to ask this question again in in four weeks' time, every chance yeah. that we might change some of the the names in there, and it's it's not about. Well, the, the list is always going to be more than four, isn't it? It's a question of shoehorning or, or selecting a, some that we're going to talk about together. But the, I've got a, a second, I've got a list of backups if I need them. I'm sure we all have. Okay, that's great, guys. So let's move on. Darren, who's going to be your first first name into the hat? Yeah, okay. Well, um, I think, I don't know if anyone said yet, but I found this really hard. So we it down to four. Four bands or artists when you've got such a wealth of musical knowledge, you know, like we all have. It's yeah. tricky. So I had to get rid of bands such as Adam and the Ants were really close to getting in there. Uh, the Smiths, Manic Street Preachers. These are massive bands to me, but none of them made it in. So I'm starting off with the Charlatans. So um, I was unsure to start with why I was putting, putting this in there. And then when you think back, when you actually think back to the era and what happened and who you met from the music... It just makes perfect sense. So 
This was a band formed in the West Midlands in 1988, fronted by Tim Burgess. Very quiet and unassuming front man, but very enigmatic at the same time. Uh, they kind of they've had 13 studio albums now, which I think I find quite hard to believe when I look that number up. It's I've got them all, but you don't until you count them up, you don't realise. All hit the top 40 as well, so they've had constant success, really. Um, and I, when I was thinking about this, I thought back to one of my dearest friends now, uh, a lady called Claire Westgate. Um, we were back in the day, it was probably soon after they formed, maybe 89, 90, in my local nightclub, down in Boxes in Exeter on the Quay. I had a Jesus Jones T-shirt on. Uh, this young girl ran up to me and said, have you got 10p? I really need 10p to make a phone call. I went, oh, okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, about an hour later, I saw her again. We hooked up and just said, oh, you know, what What did you want that money for? She said, oh, I had to make a desperate phone call. Thank you so much. Within 10 minutes, I found out she loved a band called The Charlatans. I said, oh, so do I. I've heard their first single. It's really good. Um, and it just went on from there. So a lifelong friendship formed over The Charlatans. So that's one thing that I thought, for that reason, it had to go in there, really. And since then, it's not one of my most watched bands. I've probably seen them three or four times. Um, really good gig. I remember the first one time I ever saw them was at Exeter University, which was local to me. Um, and I've seen them a few times since. They had some sad news in 2013 where John Brooks, the drummer, passed away. He'd had a brain tumour for some time. And there was a lot of discussion, a lot of thoughts that might possibly be the end of the Charlatans, but they came in a couple of years, bounced back with a cracking album, and they're still going strong now. So really, for that reason, it was one of my earliest sports, great friendship forms, that's why it's in there. Great choice. You guys got any experience of them? I'm sorry, I'm I'm jumping in here ahead of uh, the, um, the almanac of music, Mr. Jones there. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, I would say the Charlatans, out of all of the indie bands that came out of the, you know, the West Midlands, Manchester, Liverpool, I, I'd say they they were my favourite. Everybody was raving on about the Stone Roses and Happy Mondays. I like the Charlatans. They were they were just there was something a bit different about their sound. Mm-hmm. I never got into indie music until uh, probably when I was at uni, because the guys who were into indie music when I was at school were all. Um, well, we, we just, we were going down different roads, I think, in life. Uh, the way you dress, the way you, you know, the way you, where you hung out and all the rest. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's a great choice. That's a surprise for me, man. I, I thought you would have had Manic Preachers in there. You know, Manic Street Manic, Preachers it, was, in, yeah. it was a surprise for me as well. When I sat down to think about it, I never expected them to be in there. Um, and Manic Street Preachers, even though I probably like them more, because mm-hmm. we were thinking here about things that artists and bands we were influenced by. I think I was into them before the Manix, and I think that probably influenced my love for the Manic Street Preachers as well. Yeah. So thinking in context of this podcast, it seemed right to surprise myself and put that one in there. Yeah. Good man. Good man. I like it. Yeah. Well, I do like a surprise. I do like a surprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alan, you were going to talk about the charlatans, weren't you? Yeah, and no, I was just going to say, um, again, it's one of these bands I know of, um, but I think I've only got one single, um, and it's is it North Country Boy or something? Oh yeah, one of the later ones. Yeah, Richard um, picked up on CD. Um, I 
didn't didn't quite get the the Manchester and the Midlands scene like this really. Um, you know, I was aware of like the Happy Mondays and that, but the Charlatans. I mean, they were they're always there in the background, but not something that I would I've necessarily got into because nobody's said, well, you know, this is a great album. You know, so, you know, nobody's actually recommended them or said anything about them up until now. Um, I did have my eye, having said that, I did have my eye on a compilation a couple of years ago uh, yeah. that came out for uh, HMB, I think, okay. uh, with its limited releases, and I just I said, no, I just don't know enough about them, but I'm, I'm obviously going to have to go uh, on backtrack now as a result of your recommendation. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll recommend their debut album to you. It's called yeah. Some Friendly from 1990, and yeah. to me, every track is an absolute banger. So it's Describe the cover for me. Uh, it's just, it's black and orange, I believe, like a black stripe down one side. And then I think it's got the band members in kind of silhouette form. Okay, I'll have a look then, Dan. I'll show you in a second while we're chatting. I'll just pop it up on the screen. But, no, yeah. I think this is what's quite good, the four of us coming together, is that I think we've got two different, slightly different generations. Alan and myself, born in the same year. So um, by the time you guys were listening to music, I think we'd already sort of, Aligned, aligned ourselves we had our allegiances and anything new had to try and force its way into our music collections yeah you were semi-retired by the time we get into it really oh, oh absolutely yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. hanging up your hanging up your vinyls <laughs> um, yeah i've changed i'll change them today hanging up, hanging up your <laughs> i noticed that i noticed that <laughs> but that's weird eh? um, i mean I'm, I'm strongly influenced by the early 90s indie scene, Britpop scene, but that's the only indie choice I've got in that, in this top four. Um, we'll move on to that shortly. Nice. Okay, moving over to Mark then. Right, here we go. Um, the first band for me that, that properly influenced me um, was The Police. And um, I, I I got into them, it would have been, I would have been only about five, six, and I started listening to them and uh, absolutely love their sound. Love their sound, and people say it's um, it's like white reggae. Uh, and, and it was a, a guy who was big into his reggae that described that to me um, like that. Um, I was on a course. I was working with a company called Cap Gemini at the time, and I was um, lumped away for three weeks in a place called Lynn, just out outside Manchester in Cheshire. And um, I got talking to him about reggae and, and the what's that, mate? My cousin lives lives in Lynn. There you go. Might have bumped into them. <laughs> and uh, so we were we were shacked up for three weeks and um, doing some kind of Java programming. And uh, he could talk about reggae, and I said, "Oh, I'm not into reggae." Um, and I started listening to bands that, that that I was into. And I mentioned the Police, and he said, "Oh, well, they're they're practically white reggae." And uh, I took umbrage with this, and then I went back and I listened to them, and I thought, "Yeah, he he is he's absolutely got a point." Um, I. I just love everything they've done. Uh, Sting gets a bit of a beating um, as a solo artist, but he's come out with some great stuff as well. Hugely talented lads, Andy Summers, uh, Summers, um, Stuart Copeland. What a what a drummer. Um, yeah, great. Uh, under underestimated guy, but what a drummer. Three guys in a band making such a great racket. Um, as I said, probably my favourite album out of theirs is, is Atlantis Damore. It's got, you know, Hole in My Life and um, it's got uh, So Lonely, Roxanne, 
uh, born in the 50s, Be My Girl Sally, which is all about a blow-up doll making love with a blow-up doll. It's uh, slightly random. And uh, Regatta de Blanc as well. And then they had some dodgy ones. Some people, I mean, this is a controversial one. People prefer Synchronicity. They think it's one of their best albums. Uh, Ghost of the Machine. Uh, I just think they lasted from, what, 77, 78 till about 83. And it was just a short blip. And they just took over the States. They took over the UK and um, went on to, to be successful in their own right. Uh, but uh, that my, my first memory of absolutely being besotted with a band, uh, I remember in primary four, this is, this is a memory, um, our, our school teacher, Mr. Cosgrove, and he told us to um, draw our favourite band. And I made of mine, uh, Fred Morgan, well, Jared Morgan, his nickname is Fred. He's, he's now a geography teacher back in the school I, I went to, the Abbey. And uh, we, we, he drew, I think it was you two, and I drew the police. And we got into this competition of who could draw the, the most lights on the stage. <laughs> and this turned into a competition and there were like two bunches like 15 lads on one side and 15 on the other we were drawing these lights and I ended up with 700 lights behind the stage and he ended up with 850 and, and he won and I just remember going home that day absolutely you know shake of a race I kind of lost this because uh, I was quite competitive in, in, my, in my teens and, and uh, my, my former year my formative years so yeah, the police, the police for me are in in the top four. Brilliant. I, I've never Brilliant. seen them, but I, I have seen Sting a couple of times. And one of the best concerts I saw was actually him at the Royal Albert Hall. Um, saw him with Claire. Had the one of the best ever piano solos in that, which you hear in Bring On the Night. Shivers yeah. going down my spine. And he did surround himself with outstanding musicians, didn't he? Yeah. Great performer. Just uh, it, the way you could switch um, from the type of music the, the police played, and even if you listen to the, I think the five studio albums, um, and all five were well. There were similarities between Atlantis to More and Regatta de Blanc, but then moving from that to his solo efforts, uh, hugely talented guy. You can't knock him. I think people knock him because he is so successful and so talented. A bit like Elton John, people people like to put the knife, you know, the, the, the knife into them and say, "Well, you should be proud as as Brits and Irish uh, to to be producing such wonderful uh, artists yeah. who have been who have, who have had such an influence on our lives." Yeah, I've never been lucky enough to see either Sting or the Police actually at this moment in time, but never too late. I'm sure I'll be able to see them at some point, but I. I remember when I was younger, I think the first album I had, or my mum, possibly it was my mum's actually, that I nicked off her, was Ghost in the Machine, I think. And was it Zen Yata Mandata? Was that one of theirs? Yep, so, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So they're so, the two so, I had, and that sort of got me. I've never been a massive fan, but I own a few. I like them. I enjoy them. So, yeah. Yeah, Zen Yata Mandata, it, it, it was probably their most conservative. Uh, it had uh, Don't Stand So Close to Me, which is based on the on the book uh, Nikita I think but Nabokov yeah uh, and uh, do 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 da 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 that's yeah, all as well do that, do, do, do. <laughs> yeah do, 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 do. they don't do that do they 
Do, 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 do. We could do the whole podcast like that. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose the, yeah, the other um, thing. So I was just saying the other thing yeah. about them is that they're all oh, they're three musicians from different backgrounds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, the book by Nabokov is Lolita. That's the one. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Which um, was a bit risky back then. Yeah. What What are their backgrounds? I know uh, Sting is is a t- was a, an English teacher, wasn't he? Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't know. I think Summers was a was a was a jobbing musician. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've got one of his albums that he did with us with Robert Fripp. So he's very much on the not not the white reggae as you described it. It's he could have been in any band. I think the, with the talent that he had. Yeah. And I think um, Stewart's family were very well off. Yeah. Um, I think he comes from quite a wealthy background, American, um, as far as I know. But I, uh, this is a band that could have easily got into my four. Um, I saw them for the first time in 1978 in Swansea. Um, and I saw them in uh, 1980 at Regatta de Bowl, uh, which was the first gig ever held at Milton Keynes. Um, and I saw them on their last tour. They did a world tour about 10 years ago. And I saw them um, at Twickenham. Um, I couldn't have been further away from the stage. I was in the last row <laughs> of the big tiered stand, you know, at, at Twickenham. I couldn't have been further away, uh, but it was still, uh, you know, immense. Um, yeah, I remember buying the albums as they came out. Um, and I've continued to buy them. Um, when they've been in remastered form or super audio form. Uh, again, a band I collect. Um, and a Sting used to live about 50 yards away from me when I lived in Bayswater. <laughs> wow. Uh, I've, I've spoken to him uh, just for once. Um, Was he in your but, hostel? Yeah. Hmm? Was he in your hostel? He, he, lived, he lived about 50 yards from... The end of where the where the hostel ends, right. just across the road. He lived in a, um, a downstairs basement flat with with Trudy, his wife. I Brilliant. But uh, yeah, and uh, used to see him walking. He had a limp. Yeah. I don't know if he still has. It's all about tantric sex. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he had a walk with a limp. It's not I good. Uh, but yeah, a fantastic band. Um, a band I've just bought, just bought a splashed out on a red vinyl version of Synchronicity, uh, all the way from Australia. Um, yeah, I love love the band. Uh, I think I've seen I forgot I saw Sting live as well, um, Nelson Mandela concert. Um, but yeah, great great artists and one I always keep going back to. Could Did easily he? have made it my top four. Did he have to say to you when you met him? Hmm? He was actually, um, I, was, I was talking, uh, I was walking along coming back, well, I can't remember exactly, but my roommate, because uh, when you first went in the hostel, you shared to get to know each other. Um, my m- roommate, Mike, he had a bike, a motorbike, and he was playing around with it outside, sort of doing some repairs. And I thought, what the hell's I was walking in the distance, and I said, what the hell's that? Yeah, it looks a bit like Sting talking to Mike there. Yeah, I walked along and there he was. Yeah, no, they, he was more interested in what Mike was doing than, than really talking to me. And, you know, 
there's one, I think I mentioned this before, it's one of these things when you work in a bank, um, you try to, as I did, you have to be professional um, with in dealing with people who are potentially could be clients. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you don't want to be too pushy or whatever. So I think I stood my distance and I'll probably regret it a bit now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But great, great choice. I've ordered yeah. the LP. He's, he's got a, uh, a duets album coming out, hasn't he? This month, I believe. All right. Yeah. Okay. I'm not much for. I'm not much for that. Um, no. I, won't, I won't be buying that. Well, I only ordered it to be honest because they, I got a signed copy. So. I'm quite oh, right. that, so I don't I was, know what's going to be on it, but. I was going to say a little known fact about Stuart Copeland. Um, his full name is Stuart Armstrong Copeland. So I think I thought to myself, he must have some Scottish in there. And right enough, his dad was a CIA officer, Miles Copeland Jr., and his mum was a Scottish archaeologist. Wow. Lorraine Eady. And he went to Berkeley, or Berkeley, whatever way you want to say it, oh, University yeah. of California. Yeah, and then he, he ended up playing the drums. Yeah, he's oh. a tough. Well, he must have bought the gear, because you can't get much on an English teacher's wages. Oh, um, very true. He must have bought the gears, right? Yeah. We'll, we'll get into it uh, another time, but been talking yeah. with with mark about his brother miles copeland who was a exec producer producer uh, but manager and if you see the people that he managed through the 60s uh, i think there's probably some money around and he was all about pairing people together um bringing bringing musicians together any opportunity he could could see to to try and you know make some more music some new music was uh, always something he seized hi mm. right, david uh, over to you Okay, I'm going to go back to when I was 15. Um, at school, I'd been fairly sheltered in terms of music that I'd been exposed to. I mean, I, I, my parents didn't really listen to great, or if they did, it was European music, French music. Um, so apart from finding Mike Oldfield and ABBA, I didn't really find too many other bands. Then after school one day, I went to, to a friend's, around to his place, and he put on Genesis... Uh, the trick of the tale and suddenly I found myself exposed to music I'd never heard before I mean in terms of Genesis music it was obviously after Gabriel had left but tonally and everything it just captured me completely and that really set me off on a I guess a rabbit hole that ended up being far bigger than I could ever have imagined um, so I started picking up a couple of their albums um, going to my local record shop a few years later actually found Anthony Phillips' album um, in, in the cheap bins. So he was the original guitarist uh, who's played with them on the first couple of albums. And they were all part of this Charterhouse group that the core of the band came from. But then what I, you know, as, as we do as, as music nerds, we get into the music. You know, I discovered through the Peter Gabriel side, his um, one of his little projects that he had before he started doing his Northern Soul music. He was in a a jazz fusion band called Brand X, which blew my socks off. I saw them a couple of times in, in the 70s. And then, of course, you had Gabriel, who went his own way, and his music took us down another route. Um, Steve Hackett, who I think I've got 19 or 20 of his albums on there. I saw him in the 80s, uh, in 1980. But I was, I was just very lucky to get into that, and it, it, it dragged me into the prog world and as I found out later the sort of symphonic prog branch of it and I think 
that ends up being a, a kind of type of music which I do come back to pretty regularly. Um, I mean, this is the only prog band in my four that, that I'm putting down as influences today. But for me, it's that comfort music. You know, if I want to put something on that I know I'm going to enjoy, anything from anyone within within that band has always been very important. I, I'm very I'm very grateful that I discovered it. Uh, the, the guy whose house I went to, I, we went together with my dad flying us when I even stayed with his uh, family in, in Vancouver after our O-levels, GCSE for the kids. We didn't really see each other again after that, but I'm forever indebted to him for it. So, so you know, Jenny says everyone knows who they are, so I'm not going to go on about them at all, but they were a huge influence in my music choices over the years and, and what I have collected as well. Choice. There, uh, yeah, go on, Mark. No, no, I, 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 another great choice. Um, I, I would say that um, I, I probably wouldn't be as much into the prog rock side of it in the 70s. I've tried desperately to get into it uh, with, you know, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, Trick of the Tail, uh, mm. Wind and Wuthering. Wind and Wuthering. Uh, Wind and Wuthering, yeah. But I, I really liked them from, and then there were three um abacab duke duke's a fantastic album and uh, controversially i love invisible touch <laughs> uh, I, I, I totally i just love that album it's very commercial but some walloper tracks on it and another fine drummer and phil collins absolutely and I've, I've got a list of their albums in front of me and i've drawn a line under wind and wuthering which is when steve hackett left after that one or yeah after that one before and then there were three came out. Uh, Gabriel had already gone, and they became a singles band. And you know that yeah. they created a history for themselves and a success, commercial success, uh, that, that I know a lot of them were craving. Yeah, especially Collins. I mean, Phil Collins dominated the eighties, uh, whether it was oh. with Genesis or as a solo artist. And uh, you know, uh, once again, as I said, they're a seriously accomplished drummer. Um, oh. He played with a jazz style that um, so many, you know, great great drummers play play like with the um, you know the, the, the pencil and and one one hand. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great choice. Try try and listen to his swing album. He pulled together a whole swing orchestra and did a live performance. Absolutely brilliant. Alan, were you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say, um, yeah, <clears throat> and you know, you mentioned Trick of the Tail. Um, that's an album that I was introduced to when I lived in the hostel. Some guys mm -hmm. in there, um, you know, were playing stuff. And um, then I got into Genesis after that, uh, you know, sort of backtracked. Um, but the Trick of the Tail still gets me every time. Uh, I know there's an Easter yellow vinyl copy somewhere uh, coming out this year, um, so I'll definitely be tracking that down. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. yeah uh, I think it's coming out in America first. Um, right. Yeah. But yeah, great band. And again, you mentioned the drumming. Some of the drumming on uh, on Trick of the Tail is mm. is fantastic. You know, dance start on that dance roll on a volcano. Um, I, I have tended to buy them, most of their albums as they've, as they've come out. Um, 
I don't play them that often, I have to admit. Um, but, you know, I know of them. And, you know, again, I know the, the spin-off, with, you know, with the Peter Gabriel albums, I've bought all those as well. So, um, yeah, just just by somebody introducing you to one album, you know, in the 80s, um, you suddenly discover, you know, what back catalogue they've got and, um, and, you know, and how good they were as musicians. And also the production of their albums has always been top notch. That's interesting, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and great from um from a high fidelity point of view, they don't disappoint. Um totally. You know, always very sonically, um, superbly. I think it's a Q pageant. Oh yes, um, yeah. Yeah, um great production. Um and yeah, good choice. Nice, nice. Never seen them live, though. Just seen you know, I, was, I was talking about seeing Elton John at Nebworth. I saw Genesis there as well, same year. <laughs> yeah. And Pink Floyd, that was a really good lineup. Wow. wow. But like, there's bits of everything you've all said that I agree with, actually. I, I can't disagree with Mark uh, with Invisible Touch because I think I was 18 ish when that came out, and I remember my auntie giving it to me. And that kind of that was my introduction to Genesis. But over the years, I've listened to some of the older stuff and more proggy stuff and brilliant as well. But similar to Alan, I don't put it on very often. And maybe I should spin it a bit more, but yeah. No, so good. bits of everybody there that I can take on board with Genesis. Excellent. Okay. Nice segue onto yourself. Back to you now, then, Darren, for your second choice. Oh, are we? That came around quickly. Right. Um, so I've gone with... Um, a little a little known Irish band you might have heard of here called U2. <laughs> I think a few people have heard of them. Um, yeah, the reason when I got into U2, I think I must have been, I'm racking my brains earlier to get the exact age, but I must have been 13 or 14 years old. Um, I'm a bit of a thespian in my spare time, and I was doing a production in Exeter, and there's a, an older guy called Pete who weirdly now lives in the same town as me. And I bumped into him recently and he's just moved here. But he said to me, so I was 13, let's say, and he was probably 16, 17. We were talking about music. He said, have you ever heard of a band called U2? I went, no, don't think so. I knew the name, but not really. And he said, oh, he said, I've got all this stuff at home. He said, leave it with me. And this is on like the opening night of a performance, I think. By the Friday or Saturday of a performance, he bought me in a case, he'd recorded every U2 album up to that date for me, which I guess was probably up to October or something like that. I'm not sure. Um, all typed up, beautifully typed up in black and red typewriting, all recorded. And he said, there you go. Get into them. He said, it's a band you have to get into. Um, I've never been able to shake the habit since. So <laughs> really good. Um, my most watched band, especially in August, I had to call my mate Jay earlier on bit of a name check for Mr. Tomkins. Uh, we've seen them an equal number of times each, unless I'd just beat him a couple of years ago if he didn't go to a Joshua Cheetor. But we've seen them about 13 or 14 times. And August 1993, we were there on the 11th, the 12th, the 18th, and the 21st of August. Wow, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> yeah, that was, yeah. Um, and I just a name check for the people I went on there with. There was Russ, Jay, Sarah... Helen, Katie, and Roy for putting us up in Twickenham, which was my mate's brother. 
and he put us up there for three or four days, I think, while we were trekking around London to all the various destinations. Um, the one that really stood out from that, though, was the 18th of August um, at Cardiff Arms Park. I don't know if you remember, this was the Zoo TV tour, and they did what they called the U2 confessional. So um, yeah, it was a chance to go into a little tent in the middle of the stadium, record yourself, and hopefully get played on the big screen a bit later on. Well, we thought, yeah, we'll give it a go, being the shy wallflowers that we were. I went in and I thought, what can you do that's going to get projected? How are you going to get onto that big screen? So I went in. I was there with my brother that year, Matt and Jay, uh, my mate Jay. So I went into the tent and I thought, right, what am I going to do? And I basically said, um, guys, you, nobody knows this. I'm here with my friend Jay. He doesn't even know this, but now's the time to tell him. Jay, I'm gay and I love you, man. <laughs> um, um, we weren't sure if it was going to get on or not, but my brother was next in line. My brother walked in. He sat down to do his confessional and he just went, that was my brother, the twat. (laughs) (laughs) They both got shown in that order on the big screen. Um, And the crowd, obviously the crowd around us, when we, when it was shown, they spotted us laughing and mucking around. And they said, there they are. There they are. My mate gave me a big hug and he went, I love you too, man. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) So we had the whole of Cardiff Arms Park believing we were in a new, a new, newly formed relationship. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my, that's my favorite story about that. But I mean, what can you say about you two? Just. Amazing musicians, love love Bono or hate Bono. I know he he divides people immensely, but he's a brilliant frontman, an enigmatic frontman. Adam, one of the coolest bass player in the world. The Edge, some of the stuff he can do with those pedals is phenomenal. And Larry, the Peter Pan of music, never ages, but man, he's starting to look a bit older these days. Yeah. Um, but second to none, I think recent years, the last few albums. I'm not so sure about it. Um, I don't know if they're losing it, but knowing the way you two can invent themselves, they could come back with a cracking song soon. So, yeah, thoughts on that, guys? Any fair? Yeah, great. great band. Um, I remember buying uh, the first album uh, when it came out. Uh, boy, uh, from our price in Finchley Road. Yeah. Uh, Finchley Road Station, I remember that. Um, and, uh, yeah, as you say, Bono is one of these enigmatic front men. Um, very shy. I think I've lost a little bit um, when I get into all the politics and this, that and the other. But I guess I suppose really probably 90% of their, 80% of their songs are, you know, do have uh, may, maybe a political undercurrent. Um, but uh, yeah, some great musicians. The only thing for me is, I think their choice of production or producers has been has flawed some of their work. Um, mm. I just think that um, a lot of lot of the uh, lower, you know, I love, you know, I, I love um, um, Steve Lady White. Yeah. Still, Steve Lillywhite. Um, he he did a similar thing with with the band that I'm going to talk about a bit later on. 
uh, one of their albums where it, it, it all got so mixed up and he's done it again with another band I'm sort of thinking about Deacon Blue um, so I just think a lot of their work has for me been sort of tainted yeah. um, in terms of, it, of, of the production um, but there, there's no getting over the, you know, the musicianship and as you said their dads they're fantastic and of course their stage shows I've never seen them I've got a couple of videos that I've bought um, of them live, and their, you know their their stage shows are are nothing short of fantastic. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, but I've, I've you know I've got all the albums. I've, I've bought them as they've come out, and uh, uh, but yeah, but some of the production is, is I think um, has tainted a little bit. But uh, yeah, great choice, and um, yeah, I think we were going for world domination that's at one stage mm. yeah absolutely I, I saw them on the boy tour i bought that album really got into them um saw them also on that 93 tour darren yeah claire and i smuggled becky who was only three months old into the stadium and uh, we both <laughs> we both took turns to disappear outside whilst the other one watched the the show because we bought tickets before she was um was even contemplated so, <laughs> but, but we weren't going to give it up and we were in france at the time a lot and met, met adam and larry one time so I, what i do like is that they've always pushed themselves reinvented themselves and you know what there's going to be times where they're going to do stuff that perhaps you don't enjoy and uh, but i like the fact that they've never stood still and you know ever since they did that well obviously you know, the Joshua Tree was was outstanding, but when they did the Rattle and Hum and started breaking the states, uh, the, yeah. and, and they became a true stadium band, you know that that was incredible. It was a great stepping stone, I thought. Yeah, and then to yeah. go from that to something like Acton Baby and completely change oh, yeah. their style, loved it. Yeah, yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I have to say, this uh, I I give David my top four during the week. Uh, one of the four was you two, right? And uh, David said, "You can't, you can't have that one." Darren's got <laughs> that one, and he's got more to say about it than you. And I thought, well, that's fair enough. That's fair oh, enough. Did I say all of that? And, I and, should have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <I might laughs> a bit of poetic for hours, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, a bit, a bit of poetic license there. But um, yeah, I read between the lines, and I thought, no, Darren, you can have that one. Oh, uh, absolutely, absolutely. You two are just phenomenal, and. Um, my, my my first purchase was the Joshua Tree. I think most people, you know, if if there is some hermit um, sitting in a shed on a hill that hasn't heard of U2, um, I'd, I'd I'd say to him, the first album you buy of U2 is the Joshua Tree. My favourite is Acton Baby. We spoke about it this in the last series. Yeah. Um, my last purchase was um, How to Dismantle an Atom Bomb, and. Uh, all that, all that you can't leave behind. They're still selling in, uh, something like 10, 12 million worldwide yeah. in the, of those albums. They sold 25 million. I'm just looking at the stats here with the Joshua wow. Tree. Still consistent. The worst one, the pushiest one was Pop. Pop Pop was poor, but I, I loved it. I went to the... Um, yeah. Yeah, I went to the Zoo Tour um, back in, I think it would have been 94, and it was at Croke Park in Dublin. And then I went uh, to the Pop Tour with... Jenny, Jenny Kerr, she comes up every time, just give her a mention. <laughs> uh, well, we're her to the pop tour, and it just blown away easily, yeah. easily, I would say. Apart, bar 
<laughs> give you a lot. Bar the Proclaimers, I think they're the best live performance I've ever seen. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I would say so. Uh, hugely talented. I, I concur with what, what the, you were saying about them reinventing themselves. Uh, they just have a, a knack of doing that, and that's that's uh, their talent. Two, to say the two biggest exports from Ireland are Guinness and U2. <laughs> what can you what can you say? Lovely. Cheers. And Bono's not Bono's not all that bad either. <laughs> he does all right. Okay, guys, let's keep moving forwards. Um, Alan, you're up next. All oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, uh, take you back now to 1977. Um, I was, I was probably. Uh, pardon? <laughs> I was five. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, fifteen, going on sixteen. Excellent. Um, and uh, suddenly there was my, my friends, uh, particularly there was a guy called Mally Coates. He was always uh, seemed to be in the know for like getting into like new music. Like prior to that, he would uh, he would have been introduced things like you know like you know, going back like Slade, um, A B Sweet, you know Gary Glitter, Sparks. He would. He would know. He would somehow get into these things, and then, of course, then you know, before before the other my other friends did, of course, and so he influenced us heavily. And in '77, a band which came to the to the fore was uh, four guys: um, uh, Hugh Cornwall, uh, JJ Burnell, John Jacks Burnell, um, uh, Dave Greenfield and uh, Jet Black, uh, together known as The Stranglers. Mm. And suddenly, wow, this music just hit me like a steam train. It was so raw, so different, so so angry, so... And it was all these kind of emotions that um, I was kind of going through at that stage, you know, uh, just to, you know, uh, a couple of years earlier, my dad has passed away, and you know, I was, I guess, for a while, I was in my shell, but I wanted a way in which I could uh, maybe get out of my shell. And the Stranglers um, were this band that came along, and of course, at the time, you also had, uh, you know, you had the the likes of the New York Dolls, um, you had. Uh, the Sex Pistols being named. You had uh, the word punk and new wave terms were being banded about. What the hell were they? Um, mm -hmm. But I knew this band, they're called The Stranglers. Um, and just when you heard them, the fantastic bass playing by John Jack Burnell, um, the keyboards by Dave Greenfield, it was just something totally different. I'd never heard this before. And, um, you know, the, the growling lyrics by, you know, from Hugh Cornwall. Um, and that, the, the probably one of the most famous tracks uh, of those is the Peaches and uh, got a lot of radio play and did very well in the charts. Although uh, the version that you hear, you heard on the radio was uh, slightly different to the one you had on uh, on the album. Um, uh, the, uh, the 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 radio play version uh, uh, was was uh, cleaned up 
and uh, very difficult to get hold of one of those copies now. They go for uh, quite a bit of money. Um, I won't um, I won't use the word here, but um, in case there are any children listening, um, but uh, yeah, fantastic. And um, they've went on uh, for me to to be get into what I you know now term as a new way. Um, uh, you know, get into bands like XTC um, and the Buzzcocks and the Police. You know, to name a few, uh, and that really then fashioned uh, my purchasing for you know at least you know the next 10 12 years you know from 77 i would be buying alternative music uh, and that's the you know that that was me all the way um but i've you know still love the stranglers they're my number two favorite band um i've seen them more times than i can actually remember uh, it must be Right. It's got to be in excess of 25 times. I've never kept tabs. First time, you know, back in 1978 in Swansea. And the last time was a couple of years ago at the Brixton Academy. Um, obviously, um, there have been some changes in personnel along the way. Hugh uh, Cornwall left in, I think it was August 1990, replaced by um, a new vocalist called Paul Roberts. And he was with the band um, for about, uh, well, a good 10, 20, 10, 10 years. Then he decided to go his own way. And so the current lineup, um, when I saw them a couple of years ago, uh, was JJ Burnell, Dave Greenfield. Unfortunately, uh, Jet Black has become too ill to play on stage now. Uh, he's replaced with uh, another drummer. Uh, and uh, vocalist Baz Warren, um, he's, uh, he's a great, repla great replacement for, for, for Roberts. And they've been together now for about 21 years. Uh, it was very sad um, at the beginning of May last year because uh, unfortunately Dave Greenfield was taken by COVID. Um, it was a very sad time, and the amount, the emotion that that came out, um, yeah. you know, on the Stranglers Facebook site um, was incredible. They are they are very well a very well loved band, and they are. Terrific guys. Um, they've just been with me all the way. They sh helped shape me. Um, they bring out a new album this year. The last album was that came out was was great. They're still bringing out some great albums, and they're they they are influencing. I think a couple of new bands, uh, you know, have come in on the indie scene at the moment. But they're a great, great, great band. They've got a fantastic back catalogue. If anybody would like to get into them, um, I think I've lost count, but they're probably about 15 studio albums, but they are very, very listenable. And I'm so glad that I, that Mally, Mally Coates, uh, you know, I think he went out and bought, did the Peaches single, and then from that, they were great. Uh, so over the years, um, uh, they've had moderate chart success, but for me, it wasn't about that. It was always, um, they were kind of a, a niche band that I didn't really want a lot of people to get into. I didn't want them. I wanted them more from myself. Um, I didn't want them to become very, very popular, and uh, they haven't. Interestingly, uh, they, they, they um, sort of came up during that punk era, or just be between punk and the second wave of punk, post-punk. Um, yeah. 
because they were musicians, they knew more than three chords. Exactly, and then they they would they would never call themselves punk or new wave. They were just a band that was you know getting assembled at that time around that time. It's just a coincidence, um, but they've certainly been a, a, a great influence on my life. And um, uh, I play them once, if not every two weeks. I'll play some of their music. We're never going to uh, see the Dave Greenfield. Um, playing playing the keyboards, rocking them away with one hand and drinking a pint with the other hand. Exactly, yeah. The times I've seen that, um, he tends to do that on... Uh, they, they More often than not, they'll finish a show with No More Heroes and there's the great keyboard solo yeah. in the middle of that where he's got a pint of Stella in one hand and he's bashing away on the keyboards on the other. But um, they have a fantastic collectability um the amount of stuff which is out there um is second to none and uh, i'm a member of a, a facebook site and some of the stuff that these guys are i'm i'm, I'm, called, I'm not a collector i'd like to say i am but i'm not these guys have got some immense stuff um fantastic and it never surprises me if, you know stuff new stuff keeps coming out out of the woodwork um, it'll be like um, a Colombian seven-inch single of Get a Grip on Yourself, um, <laughs> something like that. But yeah, great band. Uh, I don't know if you if you guys um, feel anywhere the same about them. Do you know, I'll go first on this one. It's it's one of those bands that obviously I know the singles you mentioned. I know Peaches, Normal Heroes, uh, Golden Brown, and that is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but I only know those chart singles, and it's a band I have to get to know a bit more. Uh, what what album would you recommend? Because I need you to got, get, I need to get into this. You got to start with um, you got to start with Rattus Novedicus, the first album. Right. Yeah. Um, it's you know say so it's got peaches peaches on there, but it, the best track on there is called Down in the Sewer. It's about a seven and a half minute medley of. Uh, of different uh, mixture of music and, and singing mm. and instrumentation instrumentation um, and um, this fantastic this fantastic track but yeah start with Rattison of Educus um, I'm sure you've seen this cover oh yeah 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 um, but then after that I think they're fourth fifth album fourth studio album the raven is for me their best work um again fantastic production martin yeah. russiant um uh, so yeah start with ratus novedicus uh and then you know you you, and you could maybe even go to no more heroes then it's got some good tracks on there black yeah. and white um and then the raven um yeah fantastic band just thinking i can't I can't think for one minute why I've never listened to them or got into them. I don't, I've just looked, I've just had a flick and I don't own anything by them. No. Really weird. Just pass me by, so I will. Yeah. Yeah, no, you, you know, you'd be doing yourself a favour. Yeah, um, great. Rediscover yeah. it. Brilliant. Yeah. 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 I, I, I got experience. It was actually one of my dad's friends uh, back in the day and I happened to be in the house and he was playing the Stranglers very unusual the guy was a, well he's a retired cardi cardiologist and he had the stranglers on and uh, had a listen to them um 
ashamed to say that I've only got the greatest hits. Um, I got, I think it was the early early nineties, but I've got some favourites on, on on that greatest hits. Um, I like Skin Deep, uh, Strange Little Girl, um, Always the Sun. I think that's uh, that's a great um, great tune. Very yeah, and and uh, of course uh, Golden Brown. And I didn't realise until, oh, I guess in my twenties, the Golden Brown was all about heroin. Um, <laughs> You know these these ditties that sound very innocent, um, and then you read into the lyrics and you realise actually <laughs> there's a serious message here. Um, hugely talented guys, and, and and like Darren, I think um, I need to get into them. I need to get more into them, and knowing now how passionate you are about them, and you're you're not a fool for music. Alan, um, I'm I'm going to give them a good listen to. Good. Job, job done. Well done, Alan. Come on, Mark, you, you give us your second one now. Right. Well, I was going to go in chronological order, um, but I'm not. I'm going to give this guy a, a shout out second. It's Christy Moore. So it's not Christoberg, as people sometimes think. It's not Christoberg. It's Christy Moore. Um, Christy Moore is an Irish folk singer, um, hugely, hugely talented. I have seen him in excess of 30 times live. Um, I'm, I'm mad about him. Anyone that knows me well knows I'm mad about him. Um, I love him. I've got a man crush on him, and he's 74 years of age. He He's such a fantastic live performer. He has the audience in the grip. Um, he doesn't put up with any shite when he's on stage either. No hecklers. If you dare heckle in, in one of his gigs, uh, you'll know about it. Um, he's, he's less cantankerous than he was. Uh, he used to stand up and just him and the guitar. First time I saw him was at the Whitehall Theatre in Dundee in 1993. And I had the ticket for a long, long time uh, sitting in a scrapbook and God knows where it is now. Uh, I was due to see him last year. I saw him um, actually just before my, my, my uncle Martin's uh, uh, funeral in Liverpool. But I saw him, I went over to Newcastle County down to see him at the uh, Sleeve Donard Hotel. And I sat beside two of the band and I was like a kid in a sweet shop. Just, um, I, I just wanted to go up and chat to them. But, you know, just like Alan, um, you know, if you see Sting or somebody, you, you just want to give them a bit of space. Uh, I'd look, I, I hung around for ages around the hotel like a groupie, hoping I'd, I'd catch him. Um, but I saw, uh, yeah, as I said, I saw a couple of the other band members. He's been in bands like Planksty. Huge, huge, very, very big band. If you're from Ireland, you know about Planksty. Uh, he's been in Moving Hearts as well. His first album was called Paddy on the Road, uh, which was back in 69, and he's just still bashing away. He still does streaming live from the National Theatre. Uh, you pay £16 for a ticket, and you, you, you get to see him playing to an empty, uh, you know, an empty room. And uh, I, I, I love him. I, I can't, what, what more can I say? He does a lot of cover versions, but what's great about that is he gives guys who have written tunes, you know, they might be from the back of beyond in, in Liverpool, and he'll give their songs uh, press, I guess, you know. Um, when he sings a song, the song becomes famous. Um, he's, he's global, and he's constantly on tour. And as I said, he's approaching, I think he's approaching 70. Seventy. He was born in nineteen forty-five, so he'd be uh, seventy. Was that two? No, so, beg your pardon. He's he'd be seventy-six. 
76 this year. No. So I keep forget. I keep forgetting it's uh, 2021. Um, and he he plays. You know, Planks. great talents as well. Liam Flynn, Donald Lonnie, Andy Irvin, and he now plays with a guy called Declan Sinnott. And the two of them together, uh, Declan Sinnott's a very accomplished guitarist, and uh, Christy plays the three four chords, but plays them really well. Plays the Byron, and there's um, a lot of his stuff's very impromptu on stage. Um, he did, especially in the seventies and eighties, some of the songs were quite political. Um, but he's he's kind of he still does stand up for that and rightly so. Um, but he's got some lovely ditties in there as well. If I was to recommend an album, it would be Right On. Uh, it came out in the eighties. Some lovely tunes in that. Like um, he does a lovely cover of the WB Yeats poem, the songs of Wandering Angus. Then he does two Bobby Sands tunes, um, uh, Back Home in Derry and Michael Hatton. And then, of course, Ride On is like the, the second Irish national anthem. Uh, if you don't know that song, you're you're not Irish. <laughs> you get your passport taken off you. <laughs> so, yeah, Christy Burr is he's huge, huge in my life. Yeah. It must have been because I knew it was coming on where you were going to be bringing him on. But actually on my shuffle yesterday, The Voyage came up. I don't know if you know that one. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I could, I could bore the arse of you with so many tunes as, uh, if, if, you know, offline, if you'd like me to give you the top 20, I'll, I'll happily do it. Uh, I'll never tire of listening to his, his, his songs, especially live. Oh, a, a live album. If you're to buy a live album, um, Magic Nights is great. It's It's been out in the last few years. And um, my first ever purchase of a live album at Christie's is Live at the Point. And I've got Terry McGivern, the guy from Newry, to thank for getting me into Christy Murray. Picked us up one night from the um, the Carrickdale Hotel to take us all home to Newry. Carrickdale Hotel is about, it's just on the border between Newry and Dundalk. And he stuck Christy on, on, on the tape deck. And uh, by the time I got home, I was like, who is this guy? I, I, I got I to gotta get into it. So I call out to Terry McGivern. Thanks, Terry. Brilliant. Yeah, I think I mentioned before, Mark, I've probably got about 10, between Planksty and Christy Moore, I've got about 10 albums, but I've never played them. They're <laughs> part of my brother's late brother's collection. And they're, they're about six meters away in that direction <laughs> in the garage. I just haven't got the heart to, to play them. Uh, well, you know what you do? You sit with a wee drum some night and remember them. And, um, yeah, toast him. Chris, yeah, remember him like that. Christy would take tears from a stone. Some of his, some of his tunes are when he when he sings it, it's he means every word. You know, there's yeah. so much passion in his music, and that, that's what draws you in. It's not background music. Put it that way. Mm. No, I will. I will. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Mark. That's great. Um, I'm going to go with my second one now. Um, I'm also going to go to 1977, the same as Alan. But whilst you were going down your Stranglers route, um, I was on an exchange. Uh, I was in Germany stopping with a family. Um, I'm staying in the brother's bedroom. I don't know where he was. Dieter, he wasn't there. Um, so I had the run of his bedroom. And in his bedroom, he had a fantastic separate system he had loads of records he had a 
a glitter ball in there. So for me, there was nothing better than at the end of the day was, oh, I think I need to go upstairs now. And he had headphones. So now he, he had a great choice of music there. So he had some of the Elton John stuff. It was 77. There was Saturday Night Fever. I got into the second disc on that, that one where you have um, Walter Murphy's Orchestra and stuff like that. It was great. Um, there, were, there was um, also Aerosmith. There was loads of bands. But there was one band that captured me and it was Santana. I, I ended up then playing in the evenings Abraxas. Caravan Sierra, um, I just put those on and I found myself completely drawn into a world that was unknown to me. Obviously going down that Latin rock, blues rock, jazz fusion, it was it was very different from anything I'd, I'd really heard up until then. But that was it. Uh, I was completely hooked. I think it led me on then to listening to other guitarists. I would have gone down the roots of uh, the likes of Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, Clapton, Gallagher, lots of those. But it also, I think, it sparked a kind of an interest for Latin music that maybe wouldn't have come about. So, you know, in the years to come, I saw the likes of the Buena Vista Social Club, um, a gig which I just loved, the Gypsy Kings. So simple. You know, six guys playing away with the guitars and loved it. But Santana, um, I saw him a couple of times. I used to have a Saturday job working in, in a supermarket. And there was uh, one of the guys who worked there, Rod Ryan, and I think he was a couple of years older than me, maybe. Um, he and his brother, twin brother, they were just the biggest Santana fans. They would they would have seen them more times than, than I think any of us have seen any band at all. They'd always go along and for them, they'd always get down to the front. I remember him telling me a story when they went to see him at Wembley Arena one time. And uh, Rod, he had uh, sort of the... Santana flat cap, he says, holding his cap on his invisible cap on his head, threw it on the stage. Carlos picked it up, wore it throughout the whole show, and at the end passed it back to them. Totally made up. Um, I, I then ended up going myself then for uh, uh, with with actually with Rod's twin brother. We went to Nebworth in 1980. We saw Santana. Um, which was which was a great experience, and I saw him another time at Wembley Arena. Just just a great musician, and so much music. And he's obviously got some uh, found, found God, or found um, there's a lot of religious influence on some of his music. But uh, all of his Latin stuff, all of his rocking stuff, just fantastic. And then towards the end of the the nineties, he came out with Supernatural, and then two thousand and two Shaman where he, he kind of got rejuvenated there was a different singer on there and again just just love that so no it's been great and he's still out there today generating music trying to cultivate fans i think he's been trying to do some good on facebook trying to keep people's spirits up so uh, a real real legend for me yeah good show good show it was actually your good self david that introduced me to some time back in about 2002 2003 really? yeah yeah you did uh, uh it's it's so funny because um we, we never spoke to each other no ever and uh, you just came up randomly and said abraxas santana listen to it <laughs> um no we did we were good mates uh, no, and, 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 I, and i bought the album and it's yeah it blew me away and, and and i'm also a fan of stevie ray vaughan uh and rory gallagher the, the late great rory gallagher uh, from my neck of the woods 
So yeah, that's a great shout. I'm not surprised by that choice. Excellent. And that brings us to a midpoint in our discussions about the musical influences for Darren, Alan, Mark and myself. Please join us again next week where we'll resume with Darren with his next choice. Have a good week.